All right, very good. Welcome to Trailhead Church again. My name is Joe, and um, I do, and uh, excited to open God's Word with you this morning. So go ahead and take your Bibles and uh, or your devices and go to the Book of Proverbs. Um, we're going to be in Proverbs 29 um, this morning, and uh, I honestly don't know if that page number is right up there. So I just actually just kind of guessed. Does anyone want to anyone want to confirm that for me? Is it 5.45? I mean, is that where, what Proverbs 29 is? This is so embarrassing. I'm, I meant to do this. What is it? 5.50. 5.50. Thank you, Holly. All right. Sorry about that. Page 5.50 if you're using one of the black hardcover Bibles around you. Um, thank you for your help on that. So, uh, book of Proverbs, I just want to remind you and encourage you um, that, uh, as it's already been said, to really maximize this series in the book of Proverbs by reading the book of Proverbs on your own throughout the week. So uh, it works out really easy, right? So there's 31 days in a month, oftentimes. There's 31 days in July. There's 31 days in August. And there are 31 chapters in the book of Proverbs. So it works out really easily to work your way through the book by just simply reading Uh, the chapter that matches the particular day. So class, today is August 5th, therefore the chapter for today would be, uh, yeah, Proverbs 5, sorry, August 5, no, Proverbs 5. Um, And we're in a new month as well, right? So welcome to August. And so maybe it was a struggle for you to kind of get going in this in July. Guess what? We've got a fresh month for you to start with. And so I encourage you to jump back in on this. We're going to be in Proverbs all through August and even into the first weekend in September. So plenty of opportunity. Uh, Again, just want to encourage you, as I encourage myself even, um, let's make the most of this series by allowing God to speak to us through the book of Proverbs, not just Sunday mornings, but, but all throughout the week. All right, so for this morning, um, I have to say it was, it was kind of hard for me to decide on a sermon text. I mean, I knew it was the book of Proverbs, but uh, I had it narrowed down that far. But, man, the book of Proverbs is big. It's like over 900 verses and covers uh, a ton of different topics. And so it was hard to know uh, where to go. And so I, what I ended up doing was just kind of asking myself, and I think um, God led me to ask this of myself and of him um, what do I need to hear from the book of Proverbs? What, what does Joe need to hear from Proverbs? Obviously, I need to hear all of it, but uh, what, what areas in my life am I prone to walking in foolishness and not in wisdom? And let's, let's go there. So uh, that's how we ended up in Proverbs 29 this morning, and then um, I'm actually preaching again later uh, on Labor Day weekend, and so the two passages I picked for when I'm preaching in Proverbs really are just, hey, these are areas that I know I need to grow, and um, I imagine it would be the same for you as well, uh, areas where I know that I'm often walking in foolishness and not in wisdom. So I just want to acknowledge that this morning. So this morning as I'm talking about, for example, the fear of man, uh, I'm not talking about this as somebody who's mastered it in any way, if that's even possible. Uh, but rather someone who needs to sit under this word from God with you, uh, assuming that you need to hear it, which you do, I'll tell you, you do need to hear it. So um, so here we are, Proverbs 29, verse 25, kind of toward the end of the chapter, just 15 words here, Proverbs 29, 25. Here's what it says. The fear of man lays a snare, but whoever trusts in the Lord is safe. The word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. All right, so when we read this verse, we get just a few ver- we just get a few words in, and I feel like we have to stop and kind of 
clarify some things here. We get four words in and we get this phrase, the fear of man, and I feel like we need to step back and make sure we get the significance and, and the meaning of this, of this phrase, the fear of man. Because um, there's a theme that runs throughout the book of Proverbs. If you've ever read some of the prover- Proverbs, maybe you've picked up on it. Um, Steve brought this out actually a few weeks ago when we kicked off the series. There's, a, there's this theme, it's this phrase, this idea, all throughout the book of Proverbs, the fear of the Lord. The fear of the Lord. Uh, that phrase, the fear of the Lord, is 13 times in the book of Proverbs. Uh, and back in chapter 1, you may remember it was said, uh, this, I think it's chapter 1, verse 7, uh, the fear of the Lord is the beginning of knowledge. The fear of the Lord is the beginning of knowledge, beginning of knowledge or the beginning of wisdom. And uh, really, it says that same idea over and over throughout the book of Proverbs, that if you want wisdom, if you want knowledge, if you want, uh, you, if you want life to go how God designed it to go, and if you want to experience the kind of flourishing that God wants for you, it starts with, it begins with the fear of the Lord begins with the fear of the Lord. The fear of the Lord is the beginning of wisdom. But we get to Proverbs 29.25. Here at the end of the book, after the, the, the Proverbs have said so many times, the fear of the Lord, the fear of the Lord, and the verse begins the same way, the fear of, but then there's this switch that's happened. It's not the fear of the Lord, it's the fear of man. The Lord has been replaced with man. This, this doesn't happen anywhere else in the book of Proverbs. And, and again, there's some significance here that I think we need to step back and, and make sure we get. So thinking about that word uh, fear, and I know Steve talked about this again a few weeks ago, but, but let's talk about it again. The, the, this word fear and then how it shapes our understanding of the fear of the Lord and the fear of man. So first of all, we sort of see the word fear and we think, we maybe think, um, okay, that's like being scared or, or, or terrified or frightened, like, you know, the feelings when you're watching a scary movie like The Shining or The Ring or uh, The Brave Little Toaster or um, if you've seen it, you know what I'm talking about. That is a creepy movie. Watch it and tell me I'm wrong. Um, no, it, it, so it's, but it, that's not the idea of fear here, okay? It's not, it's not necessarily being scared or frightened, though you could argue that's kind of part of it. This fear here, um, it's really more the idea of respect and reverence. Um, it's a response of awe and worship when you see uh, and fully or begin to see and begin to fully comprehend what something is or who someone is. So, so when we talk about fearing God, fearing the Lord, uh, again, it's the response of awe and worship as we begin to fully see and fully comprehend who God is. Uh, Steve defined the fear of the Lord like this a few weeks ago. I thought this was really good. The fear of the Lord is the utter humility that grows in the presence of a sovereign God. I'll say that one more time. The fear of the Lord is the utter humility that grows in the presence of a sovereign God. That's, that's spot on. As, as we continue to stand in God's presence, continue to see Him, continue to be exposed to who He is, and we see and know more of his, his power and His beauty and His glory and His majesty and His sovereignty and His infiniteness, that response that flows from that, that, that response of awe and worship and reverence, that is the fear of the Lord. Um, back in the 1970s, there was a, uh, a book written um, 
it actually became kind of one of the, the one of the best selling Christian books. Uh, a book called Knowing God by J.I. Packer. Maybe some of you have read it. And there's a there's an excerpt uh, from the book that I've come back to on on multiple occasions, and I thought I'd share it with you this morning because I thought here um, Packer really captures well. Uh, fearing the Lord and kind of leads us to fear the Lord. So this is on the screen behind me. Um, Here's what Packer says. Our personal life is a finite thing. It is limited in every direction, in space, in time, in knowledge, in power. But God is not so limited. He is eternal, infinite, and almighty. He has us in his hands. We never have him in ours. Like us, he is personal, but unlike us, he is great. The Bible never lets us lose sight of his majesty and his unlimited dominion over all his creatures. So I love, I love that quote from Packer, and I love that in the middle there where he says, um, God is not so limited. He is eternal, infinite, and almighty. Let, let's just sit in those three truths for a second. Eternal, infinite and almighty. So God is eternal in respect to time. Um, We have a beginning, right? But God has no beginning. He has no end. He is eternal. In respect to space, uh, we are limited, right? We can only be in one place at one time. We are finite. But God is infinite. He, He is everywhere. His presence fills the earth, fills the universe, And in respect to power, he is almighty. I love that. Not just mighty, but almighty. He he possesses all power. Power to create from nothing. Power to bring down to nothing. Power to to move anything, to change anything. He is eternal. He is infinite. He is almighty. And when we get that, the proper response to that is to fear him, to fear the Lord. But again, in our verse this morning, uh, it does not say the fear of the Lord, right? This, this switch, this tragic switch has taken place where the Lord is replaced with man. This verse is talking about fearing man. And um, just to clarify before we go any further, when it says the fear of man, uh, it's not talking about uh, males, right? It's not talking about dudes, guys. It's talking about mankind, right? The fear of people, uh, men, women, children, um, so just wanted to clarify on that. But, but this switch has taken place where the Lord, where we expect to hear the fear of the Lord and instead we have the fear of man. I mean, we have to ask the question, how could this even happen? Like, how could somebody actually do this? How could somebody replace the Lord with man? How could somebody replace the, the eternal, infinite, almighty God with man? How could someone fear God, fear man and not instead of fearing God. How could this happen? And yet, this does happen. This does happen. People do this. We do this. Don't we? We do this. We, we care very much about people's opinions of us. We get embarrassed easily. We compare ourselves with others. And social media does not help us in that. Um, we keep secrets about ourselves, even, maybe even secret lifestyles we, we keep secret. Um, we avoid people. We carefully edit how we talk about ourselves. And again, social media just fuels that. We desperately want people to like us and to accept us and to respect us and to listen to us. Instead of God being big in our eyes, people become big in our eyes. We, we do this. We fear man. 
So let's, let's talk about this a little bit more. What does this look like? What does this mean, fearing man? Um, first of all, uh, clearly fearing has a lot to do with worship, but I don't want us to get this idea that, okay, fearing man is worshiping someone, like worshiping a, a celebrity or something like that, worshiping a, 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 an actor or an actress or a professional athlete or a, a musician where you, you know everything about them, you're obsessed with them, and you want to be just like them, and you're, you're always on their Twitter feed and their Instagram feed finding out what they're doing. I mean, that's, is that the fear of man? Yes, absolutely, but um, the fear of man's much broader than that. Um, here's what the fear of man is. Simply put, it is any time that in our hearts we put people in the place of God. Any time that in our hearts we put people in the place of God. It's when we want people to give us what only God can give us. When we want people to give us what only God can give us. Instead of looking to God for acceptance, we look to people for acceptance. Instead of looking to God for approval, we look to people for approval. Instead of looking to God for peace and comfort, we look to people for peace and comfort. Instead of looking to God for joy, for satisfaction, we look to people for joy and satisfaction. And we can do this in any relationship. I mean, this is, this is not limited to any particular kind of relationship. Friends can fear friends. Um, a spouse can fear a spouse. If you're dating someone, you can fear that person. Children can fear their parents. Parents can fear their children. Uh, you can fear your boss. You can fear a mentor. You can fear a group of people that you don't belong to, but that you really want to belong to. This can happen anywhere, and it often does happen anywhere and everywhere. Um, Looking back at, at the verse again, Proverbs 29, 25, uh, to kind of explain all this another way, to kind of get into the poetry here, uh, the literary devices. So you notice there's, there's two parts to this verse, two halves, and they are statements of opposites, right? So uh, the, the first phrase says one thing and the second phrase says the opposite. So uh, the fear of man lays a snare, but here's the opposite, whoever trusts in the Lord is safe. So uh, first half, you have man. Second half, you have the Lord. First half, you have uh, a snare. Uh, second half, you have safety. But there's, but there's one concept that stays the same in both, and it's fear. Do you notice that? But Solomon doesn't use the word fear in the second half, and I think this is helpful. He could have used the word fear, right? I mean, the verse could read, uh, the fear of man lays a snare, but whoever fears the Lord is safe. And that would have made total sense, would have made sense in the verse, would have made sense um, in the book of Proverbs. But he doesn't use the word fear in the second part. Again, I think this is helpful. He uses the word trust. He says, whoever trusts in the Lord is safe. So get this, fearing and, and trusting have a lot to do with each other. They are, in a sense, almost synonymous. So that if you fear something, you are trusting that thing. Or if you are trusting someone, you are fearing that, that someone. So when we say to someone, when we say to a friend, when we say to a spouse, when we say to a, a parent or a child or someone we're dating or a, a superior or, or a group of people, when we say, I am going to trust you, I'm going to entrust to you my joy, I'm going to entrust to you my peace and my comfort and my acceptance, I trust that you will give me those things, I'm looking to you to give me those things, it is then that we have moved into fearing that person. 
That's what it means to fear someone. And, um, and in case you haven't figured this out by now, this is not a, uh, this is not a personality thing. Um, this, is, this is not, uh, the fear of man does not care about your Myers-Briggs. Um, this, is for, this is for all of us. You, you, may, you may have heard me start to talk about the fear of man and you thought, um, okay, yeah, this is, for, this is for like shy people, right? This is for those who are really introverted. Well, that's, that's okay. I guess I'm off the hook because I'm an extrovert, you might say. And uh, I don't fear people. I love being around people. Man, I'm energized by being around people. Love being around people. I love being in front of people. Um, if there's an opportunity to be in the spotlight, I, I never shy away from that. But, but again, this is not a personality type thing. This is for, this is for introverts and extroverts alike. Because um, think about it, is an, is an extrovert less prone to putting people in the place of God? No, of course not. Uh, this is for all of us. Introverts and extroverts might, might deal with the fear of man and, and handle the fear of man in different ways. It's going to look different, but we all deal with this. Um, it might simply be that introverts, the, the people that they fear, they move away from, and extroverts, the people they fear, they move toward. But again, we all fear people. Um, so, so hopefully, here, here's to, to kind of sum it up. Hopefully, we're we're seeing that we all deal with the fear of man. Um, it's something we all struggle with, and hopefully, you're even beginning with God's help, uh, even now in the sermon, to to kind of peel back. Okay, where where is this happening in my life? Where is this taking place in my life? So, what does Solomon say about the fear of man? Let's actually go on past the first four words. He says that the fear of man is a snare. It lays a snare. It's a trap. It's a trap. Um, the idea of the word here in, in the Hebrew is, a, is like a noose or a, a, you know, a, a loop of rope uh, to capture a, an animal or a bird or something like that. And Solomon says that's what the fear of man is like. It's like a snare. It's like a trap for us. Um, so my family and I, we live in Alton. We've lived in Alton the last few years. But before that, we used to live um, in kind of a rural area. I used to be a youth pastor up north of here in between Godfrey and Jerseyville. And so uh, when we were at that church, we, uh, I, we lived across the street from the church in a house that the church owned. So we lived in a rural setting. And part of living in a rural setting, if you don't know, is that especially when it comes to... Um, fall time and harvest time and the fields are getting cleared and the temperatures are dropping is that you start to deal with mice and we had mice in that house not not every year but definitely several of the years we lived in that house and um and i became you know pretty familiar i guess with the different kinds of traps that were out there for mice like i this by the end, this wasn't my first rodeo, and so um, I had my go-to mouse traps, and they were these Tomcat mouse traps that I would buy at Walmart. These are not your grandpa's mouse trap. I mean, these things are legit. They've got like mega spring-loaded, and they've got these teeth that come down. I don't know if you can see that, but these are the real deal. And they and I had some good success with these with these mouse traps. Um, I caught a fair number of mice with these. Put a little peanut butter in there, and it would, it would do the trick. Now, in Solomon's day, there weren't tomcat mousetraps. There, there was just rope, right? But, but I just want you to get in your mind this idea of a snare and a trap. That's what the fear of man is. Solomon says the fear of man is a snare for us. It's a trap. 
Contrast that with the second half of the verse. The second half of the verse says, whoever trusts in the Lord is safe. The idea of this word here, safe, is actually uh, the idea of being raised up high, set up high, uh, to be set up kind of out of the reach of danger, out of the reach of enemies, and out of the reach of, of traps and snares. And so Solomon's point is when you fear man, when you put your trust in man, you're down low, you're down in the valley, you're down there with all of the, the danger and the traps and the snares, but when you trust the Lord, when you fear the Lord, you're raised up high, you're, you're, you're brought up out of the danger and out of the reach of the traps and the snares. Now, I want you to think about for a second, um, the, what, it, what is the very essence of a trap? What is the very essence of a, of a snare or a trap? Uh, a trap always has a component to it of being alluring and enticing, right? That, that it, it holds out something good to you. I mean, when I, when I set those Tomcat mouse traps, I didn't just set them out and hope that a mouse would bump into one. I always put a little peanut butter in there because I wanted, I wanted the mouse to be, to be drawn in and think that there was something good there and then, you know, snap, it'd be trapped and killed. I wanted that thing to die. Um, sorry if you're a, a mice lover or something like that, but I wanted that thing to die. So the very idea of a trap is that it holds out something good to us. It, it promises something that we need or promises something that we want, that we perceive as good. But then the catch, the, so to speak, the catch is always that there are consequences in the trap, consequences that far outweigh the good that it promised, consequences of getting trapped and getting captured and, and being put in some sort of bondage or even death. And isn't the fear of man exactly like that? The fear of man is exactly like that. It promises to us life, and it promises to us joy, um, promises a sense of belonging and, and flourishing. Oh, if, if this person would just like me, if this person would just accept me, if this group of people would just accept me, then I would be so happy. I would, I would finally have rest and peace in my spirit and in my life. And Solomon's words of wisdom to us this morning are, no, you wouldn't. You wouldn't have that. It's a trap. It's a trap. The fear of man promises life, promises peace, it promises fulfillment and, and flourishing, but it can't deliver because man can't do for you, man can't do for us what only God can do. And, and continually giving ourselves over to fearing people and entrusting to them our joy and our, and our rest, it's only going to keep cutting us off from what will actually give us life and joy and rest and fulfillment and belonging, and that's God himself. That's God himself. So friends, this morning, um, Solomon and, and God through Solomon is kind of putting two paths before us. Two paths before us, the path of wisdom, the path of foolishness, the path of, of life, and the path of that, will keep, that which will keep us from life, the path of, of a snare and the path of safety. And obviously the path of of wisdom, the path of life, path that leads to high places and, and, and safety, comes through trusting in the Lord, right? That's what the verse says. Whoever trusts in the Lord is safe. So, man, what else do I need to say, right? I'll just tell you that, hey, trust God, and uh, we'll send you on your way and send you home. That's all I really need to say, right? No, no, we need, we need to explore 
this idea of trusting the Lord, because I think especially when we, when we look at this idea of trusting the Lord through the lens of Jesus and through the lens of the gospel, um, there's a whole lot more to it than what we might first see. So uh, I want you to first think about this question, trusting in the Lord. How do we know that we can actually trust God? I mean, just a bit ago, I said, um, you know, from the verse, basically, that there's, there's a lot in common with fearing and trusting, that fearing God and, and trusting God, or fearing man and trusting man, are kind of one and the same, and I believe that the parallelism of the verse teaches that, but maybe when I said that, you thought, well, hold on a second, um, I get that I should fear God, I mean, I get that I should fear Him, but I don't know if I can trust Him. Um, I get that He is eternal and infinite and almighty. I, I, I get that He has unlimited boundaries and unlimited power. And, and so I get that I should fear Him, but I don't know if I can trust Him because I've seen power be abused. And how do I know God's not going to abuse this power? How do I know I can trust Him? Well, there's a whole lot about God that we know that Solomon only knew in part. He, he could only see it dimly. He, could, he, he couldn't quite see it fully. It was like in the distance. And we're sitting here 3,000 years later in history from Solomon, and we can look back, and we can look back and see that uh, in between us and Solomon, that, that God, the eternal, infinite, almighty God, has not kept his distance from us, but he has also moved toward us in love and in grace and in kindness in Jesus. Think about that. The eternal God, one with no beginning, no end, stepped into time in the person of Jesus. The infinite God took on finiteness, took on humanity in the person of Jesus. The almighty God, for a season of time, in a sense, set aside his power when he became man in the person of Jesus. So, how do we know that we can trust God because of what God has done for us in Jesus? That he hasn't just uh, conveyed himself to us as this eternal, infinite, almighty God, but also as a God of grace and love and kindness. He has come near to us and he has died for us and risen again. We know we can trust him because of what he has done for us in Jesus. And so, everything that we think man can give us, that fearing man can give us, acceptance and approval and belonging. Man can never give that to us. And the reason why is because we, we, we can never be with man, apart from God's grace, with man we can never be fully known and fully accepted. It has to be one or the other. That if we are if we're going to be accepted, well, then I've, I, can't, I can't let someone truly know the depths of who I am. Or um, if I'm going to let someone know the depths of who I am, they, they, they won't accept me. Um, but with God, through Jesus, we are both fully known and fully accepted. It's, it's, the, it's the glorious, it's the greatest news in the universe that we can be known to the depths of who we are, to the, to the rotten, sinful, broken depths of who we are, and yet still be accepted and approved and welcomed and delighted in because of Jesus. So when we believe in Jesus, when we trust in Him, when we, when we put our trust in what He's done and, and put all of our hope in Him, what happens is, is that God 
unites us to Jesus. I want us to think about this for a second, being united to Jesus. God unites us to Jesus and places us in him so that when he looks at us, he doesn't see us, he sees his son Jesus. And everything that God feels, that's probably not the best theological term, but everything that God feels toward his son Jesus, he feels toward us as well. Um, I, wanna, I want you to take a look at the, the screen behind me for a moment and look at a passage from the New Testament that I think uh, supports us really well, this, this idea that, that we are united to Jesus, that we are in him, and that when God looks at us, he sees him. So this is um, Colossians chapter 3, verses 1 to 4. Here's what it says. If then you have been raised with Christ, seek the things that are above where Christ is, seated at the right hand of God, Set your minds on things that are above, not on things that are on earth. For you have died, and your life is hidden with Christ in God. When Christ, who is your life, appears, then you also will appear with him in glory. Now, there's a lot in those four verses. What I I want you to notice is that what has happened to Jesus has happened to us too. Did you notice that? That because we're united to Jesus, because we're in him, what has happened to Jesus has happened to us. So in verse 3, if you look at the the underlined portions there, uh, in verse 3 it says, for you have died. Well, these these believers receiving this letter in Colossians, they hadn't died, but they had died with Jesus spiritually. That when Jesus died, their old self died with him. They had died with him. We have died with him. Also in verse 1, It says, if then you have been raised with Christ. So not only have we died with him, but we are raised with him. His resurrection was our resurrection. We've been raised to newness of life in him. We've died with him. We've raised with him. And verse 4 says, we will appear with him one day. When, When Christ, who is your life, appears, then you will also appear with him in glory. We've died with Christ. We've been raised with Christ. One day we will appear with Christ. And so I think all of it could be summed up really well with that, with that phrase in verse 3, your life is hidden with Christ in God. Your life is hidden with Christ in God. Our lives are hidden with Christ. Again, when God sees us, he sees us hidden in Jesus, hidden in his perfect son, Jesus, and everything he feels toward his son, Jesus, he feels toward us as well. So, so for example, the Bible tells us that that God the Father has loved Jesus since before the foundation of the world, since before there was even time. And, and friend, if you are, are trusting in Jesus, he loves you with that same love because you are in Jesus and you are united to him. The Bible also tells us that when, uh, that when Jesus was baptized, um, so kind of at the beginning of the last three years of his life, when he was baptized, There was a voice that came from heaven, the voice of God, and that voice said, this is my beloved son. This is my son that I love and whom I am well pleased. God the Father is well pleased with his son, Jesus. He really likes his son, Jesus. He delights in his son, Jesus. And believer, because you are in Jesus, because you're united to him, God is well pleased with you like that. He delights in you with the same delight he has in the Son. You know what that means? That means that God doesn't just love you, he likes you. 
you understand the difference, right? There, there are people in your life that you love, but, but liking them, it's, that's a whole different matter, right? Or am, I, am I the only one here, okay? Um, no, we, we get the difference, but God doesn't just love us. He likes us. He delights in us, not because of you, not because you're awesome, because you're not. Jesus it's awesome, though, and you are in Jesus. You are in the perfect Son of God. You have trusted in Jesus, and you are united to Jesus, and therefore you are delighted in because of Jesus. So, so friends, this is, this is kind of the, the main point of the sermon this morning, so listen up to this. Friends, if we have that kind of acceptance, if we have that kind of approved standing before God, if we are if we are delighted in like that and loved like that, then why would we look to man? Why would we look to people to give us those things? Why would we do that? Why would we say to a person or to a group of people, I- I'm going to look to you, I'm going to trust you for my acceptance and my approval? Why would we do that when God has already given us that in Jesus, when he has already crushed his son for us for our sins and and forsaken his son for us so that we could then be welcomed in and delighted in and approved and loved so friends the fear of man it's a gospel issue it's a matter of whether we believe the gospel when we fear man we're not believing the gospel enough and so the invitation of Proverbs 29.25 isn't just simply to trust in the Lord, but more specifically, I believe, it is to trust the Lord Jesus. It is to trust in what he has done for you through his death and resurrection. It is to trust in the fact that God sees you in Jesus and accepts you and delights in you because you are in Jesus, so you don't have to look to man to give you what God has already given you in Jesus. And when, we, and when we get this, when we really get this, when we get this down in our gut and we, and we believe it and we hold on tight to it and, and we, we rest in our standing before God, it will radically transform how we view people. It will radically transform how we view people. It absolutely will. Think about it. The, the, the huge theme of, of the Bible and especially the New Testament um, when it comes to, to the one another is, is that is that you will love because you have first been loved. You will love because you've first been loved. He first loved us, and therefore his love then spills out of us and flows out of us toward one another. But, but think about how this actually works. Think about how this actually works. It, what's actually happening there when, when we are first loved and then we love others in response is, is what's happening is that God is freeing us as we believe the gospel and rest in the gospel and have confidence in our standing before God, God is freeing us from the fear of man. We don't have to look to people anymore to, to give us what God has already given us in Christ. We're freed from that, and when, and when we're free from that, we can, instead of fearing people, we can love people. Instead of, freeing, uh, instead of fearing people, we're freed to love them. And you already get this concept, right? Because you have seen the movie Frozen. I took a quick turn, didn't I? Um, all right, so bear with me. I'm a dad of four, so I, I watch a lot of Disney movies. Um, I love the message that comes at the end of, of the movie Frozen. It still kind of surprises me how much the message resonates with really what I think are gospel truths and, and themes 
of the Bible. Um, I almost want to assume that everyone in the, in the room has seen the movie. It's, you know, I think like the highest grossing animated movie of all time. But maybe you haven't seen it, so just in case you haven't seen it, let me just give you a quick run of the plot. Spoilers to follow. Um, so Elsa and Anna, I can't believe I'm going into this illustration. Um, Elsa and Anna are two sisters. They are princesses of a kingdom called Arendelle. And uh, Elsa, spoiler, has these magic ice freezing powers, and uh, it's kind of her big secret. And it comes to her coronation day when she's going to become king, and her big secret um, gets out, and everyone in the kingdom knows. And so in fear, she runs off. She runs off into the mountains. She sings this really popular song, and... um, (laughs) And in running off, she kind of set off this eternal winter um, in Arendelle. And so the plot of the movie is basically Anna and the rest of the main characters trying to find Elsa, bring her back, and restore summer to Arendelle. At the end of the movie, um, Elsa's sister Anna saves Elsa with with this um, really display of sacrificial love. Um, And Elsa then realizes that it must be love that rules her as she rules Arendelle. It, it, it can't be fear that rules her in terms of how she, she looks at her people because all throughout the movie, she, she's afraid, she's fearful. But what, what are the people going to think of me? How are they going to view me? Are they going to think I'm some sort of monster? Um, but she realizes that in order to bring about the flourishing of her people, Her posture toward them must not be fear, but must be love. And so it's love that that reverses the eternal winter and restores summer to Arendelle. And when I watch this movie, you know, with my kids, when I watch this movie with my kids, um, I can't help but think, this is exactly what the gospel does when it comes in and changes us. It frees us from fear. It frees us from the fear of man so that we're not fearing people, we're loving people. We can be free to love people. Our posture toward them isn't anymore, uh, I'm trusting you for my joy and trusting you for my acceptance and my peace and approval, but rather our posture becomes, I already have all of that in Jesus, in fullness, so now how can I love you? How can I make much of Jesus in your life? How can I, um, how can I help you experience the incredible grace of God in Jesus that I experience. So notice that the gospel does not um, free us from the fear of man by simply isolating us. It's not, the answer is not isolation and, and withdrawal from people, but actually just the opposite. The gospel frees us from fear of man and then actually pushes us back into relationships, relationships that are not founded on fear but founded on love built on the gospel and our acceptance in Jesus. So let me um, kind of wrap things up here with a couple challenges for us. A couple challenges for us. The first is to believe the gospel. I, I I know that's incredibly simple and incredibly basic, but we need to hear it. We need to keep hearing it. The gospel is not the the ABCs of Christianity, it is the A to Z of Christianity, and we need to keep hearing the gospel. We need to keep believing that in Jesus we are loved, we are accepted, we are delighted in. And I, I don't know, all of you here this morning, maybe you're here this morning and you would say, man, I'm not, I'm not even a believer at all. I'm, I'm, not, a, I'm not a Christian. 
Um, I'm not a believer in Jesus, and, and if that's you, man, I'm, I'm super glad you're here, and I want you to hear this invitation to believe, this invitation to trust in Jesus, the good news that you can be welcomed in and delighted in and loved by the God of the universe, the eternal, infinite, almighty God. You can be welcomed in and delighted in because of what his son Jesus has done. It does not come by working hard enough. It does not come by being good enough or being moral enough or being clean enough. It comes by resting in what Jesus has done. And, and believers in Jesus um, hear the invitation to keep on believing. Don't stop believing. Keep on believing. Keep on believing the gospel. Keep preaching to yourself that you are united to Jesus. You are in him. Your, your life is hidden in Jesus, and therefore God delights in you, and God accepts you, and God rejoices over you and approves of you. And as you believe that good news, let that inform how you view people. Let that inform how you view your friends and how you view your spouse or someone you're dating or, or your children or uh, a group of people that you really want to belong to. Those people can never give you what you've already been given in Jesus. So believe the gospel, and secondly, let's examine our relationships. Let's examine our relationships and, and give ourselves over to, to relationships that are built on love and not on fear. Um, so I ask you, friends, where in your current relationships are you fearing people? Let's ask for God for grace. Let's ask God for grace to repent of that, to turn away from fearing man. And, and in response to his grace, let's love people instead of fearing people. Asking ourselves, how can I, exp- how can I increase this, this person's experience of the grace and kindness of God? How can I help them uh, know more of God's love for them? How can I help them to taste more of the goodness of the good news that I am tasting? Let's give ourselves over to that. And, and I can't help but mention that here at Trailhead, um, we have a really great context, I guess is the best word, a great context for you to be really intentional about gospel-centered relationships, relationships built on love, and that's our community groups. Uh, community groups are getting ready to start up again. Um, it's, it's August, so I imagine most of our groups, if not all of our groups, are going to be uh, meeting uh, even in, form, in informal ways um, in the next few weeks. And, um, and so if you're new here, man, I encourage you to go to Connection Point after the service and find out how you can get connected to a community group. If, you're, if you've been here a while and maybe you've kind of had this, this posture of, you know, I, I, don't really, I don't really get community groups. I don't see what the value is. I'm not really going to put a lot of priority on them. Um, or maybe, maybe you've been here a while and you've been in community groups, but um, you've kind of kept your distance. You haven't really given yourself over to, uh, to being known by by the people in your group and, and really engage the people in your group in knowing them. Um, friends, what an opportunity. What an opportunity we have to be intentional with the right kind of relationships, relationships built on love and not on fear, to, to have an opportunity to, to intentionally cultivate in our hearts love toward others and, and not fear, to, to gather with brothers and sisters regularly um, not even just once a week, but even just walking through life together um, and, and to, to come together not in, the de- not in the desire to impress each other, 
um, not in a desire to impress each other, but rather to love each other, to know each other, to be known by each other. So, um, friends, let's, we've, got a, we've got a season of community groups ahead of us. Let's give ourselves over to it. Let's engage our groups well and invest in our groups well and, uh, and, and really cultivate in our hearts relationships that are built on love and not on fear. Okay, that's what I've got for you this morning. So um, let's, let's move toward a time of, of reflection and response and communion. I'm gonna have some reflection questions on the screen. And, uh, and first, let's go ahead and pray. <clears throat> Father, um, thank you for the gospel. Thank you for Jesus and that in Jesus, in the fact that we are... Um, united to him, we are fully accepted, fully delighted in. Um, Father, help us to, this morning, um, know, the, know the depths of that, to know that we are delighted in, and that we don't have to look to man, to people, to whatever relationship, to um, to find that acceptance and that approval. God, would you help us to examine our relationships and, and see where is this happening in our hearts? Where is this happening in our lives? God, God, give us grace to repent of it. Help us to see that it's a, a snare, that it's a trap for us, that it, does, that it does not lead to the life that it promises. In fact, it cuts us off from life. Help us to believe that. God, help us to, to know and be convinced of our standing in Jesus, that you, that you like us because you like Jesus. You delight in us because you delight in Jesus. Um, God, I pray that we would be about relationships that are built on love and not on fear. God, help us to, to give ourselves over to that. Help us to give ourselves over to that in our community groups, um, that we would actually partner with brothers and sisters and, and walking through life with them, knowing them, being known by them. Um, pray that you would do that in us by your grace. God, thank you for, for being here with us this morning by your spirit. I pray your spirit will continue to impress your word upon our hearts. Pray all this in Jesus' name, amen.